I'm, I'm telling you, God is doing a work in the earth and God is doing a work and he's stirring the hearts of men and women. And he's reaching into congregations of people who I believe there is an awakening coming in our valleys, a spiritual awakening and revelation of the mighty God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. I believe it with all my heart. And I just want to do my part, don't you? We're all apart. Amen. Matthew chapter 4. Let's go to the word of the Lord this morning. I wish I could tell you where we're going this morning, but I don't really know because where I thought we were going is not. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea because they were fishers. Now, the King James, sometimes we read it and we... we I don't know about you. I have to slow down in order to process sometimes. Go, hold on. What did they just say? Uh, because I don't speak this way. Maybe you do. I don't think so, right? But maybe, you t- maybe some of you husbands talk to your wife that way. My dearest love, thou hast made me breakfast, therefore I thank thee. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to start talking that way to my wife and see what that does. <laughs> uh, we don't talk this way, so if we're not careful, even, in, even if in our daily reading of the Scripture, we can read it, and because we don't speak this way, we miss what's being said. I think it's why there's value sometimes in reading other translations. It causes us to pause and goes, hold on. Did that, did... There's times I've read another translation. I went back to the King James. Goes, I guess it does say it that way. Yeah, I just didn't. And so it helps us to consider what the Scripture is telling us. And so here, this is very simple, right? We, this is very simple. There's two guys, Simon, right? Simon and Peter. Or Simon, Peter, and Andrew. They're brothers. They've probably grown up together since they're brothers. And they fish. And they're doing their job. They're at work. Is that what it says? Anybody ever read that scripture and said, man, he came up on them while they were both, both at work. They were in the workplace. They were both at work. These two guys that are brothers that have grown up together, probably beat each other up sometimes, argued with each other, you know, had sibling rivalries, did all this stuff. These two guys are there at work, and they're working together in the family business, and Jesus happens to pass by the family business. Can we make it real? And here he is at the family business, and next verse, 19. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Now, I know we've read this, and most of you, most, I'm, I'm assuming probably all of us, or maybe if not many of us, have read this and heard this. And you think, we just read it like, well, this is beautiful. Amen. Thank God. They, hold on. These were brothers at their business, working the family business. Jesus comes by. There's no indication that they've ever met him before in their life. But they were looking for him. They were Jews. 
and they were looking for the Messiah. They were always looking for the Messiah. They were aware of the prophetic declarations of Isaiah and the prophets of old, and they lived their life. It was part of their traditions, their routines. Their life was woven in by the scriptures of the Old Testament. They lived their life ever thinking, considering, looking for the Messiah. So there has to be an awareness. They had an awareness. And Jesus said, follow me. Now we know from the next verse, verse number 20, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. You ever wish the Lord would just come to you and say, just leave your job and come on. (laughs) Everybody's like, come on, Lord, I'm ready. Yeah. It's not so much that we want to follow him. We just want to leave our job. Come on now, let's be real. But this is what happened. How significant a moment in time that these men that had, they were vested in the family. We know from reading other places in Scripture, they worked with their father. Their dad and them all worked together. And here they are, and they're in the family business. And this man comes along and says, follow me. And they leave the work of the business. Dad, we got to go. And they follow him. They let go of their life. To follow him. They let go of their livelihood to follow him. I'm not, now don't anybody get up and walk out here and say, man, he told us to leave our jobs this morning. Some people, you, you make scripture say what you want to say. Don't do that. You need to hear from the Lord. But, but they heard from the Lord. Now, I believe. Now, we know because we look at the rest of the scripture. They didn't fully recognize this is the Messiah when he said that. Because later on, he revealed himself to them. Peter finally declared at Caesarea Philippi, thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And so here they are. But I believe that when Jesus spoke something, the living word of God stood before them, right? God was, Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh. He was the word incarnate. And so Jesus says, follow me. And I believe when he did, what happened is the living word went and reached into Peter's spirit. The living word went and reached into Andrew's heart. And they're like, we got to go. We got to go. Something has arrested my spirit. I Goodbye, Nets. Something more important than what I've given myself to is calling me. Something more important than what I've vested my life in is calling me. Something greater than anything I've ever seen is drawing me. It's the living word of God. And so they followed him. We see this. Go to Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9. We find it very interesting. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all the Gospels, but. Matthew chapter 9. This is right after he healed the man that was sick of the palsy that was on his bed. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. said, arise and walk. And he walked. The multitude's amazed. And then he's leaving this having just taken place. It would seem like, okay, the big thing that Jesus was doing is now done. He's going on his way. And the scripture says, as Jesus passed forth from thence or from there, he saw a man named Matthew who was sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said to him, follow me. 
And what happened? He got up and followed him. Matthew, we know, was a publican, a tax collector. Right? He wasn't loved any more then than they are now. We can study and read. He was not. And the crazy, you got to understand this about Matthew. Matthew was a Jew. And he was working for the Romans. It was even worse. Right? You're like one of us. But you're doing their bidding. He was a tax collector. That's what the receipt of custom was. The table he sat at was, he was, he was, he was receiving from them customs, taxes. And here he is, a Jew enacting Roman law on his fellow brethren. Don't you know he was wonderful to be around? You know, history agrees, theological history agrees that Matthew probably was pretty well cared for financially because of his job. And so here he is doing what he does, collecting from the Jews on behalf of the Romans. And you would think, pass this guy by. But Jesus comes by after just healing a man. The multitude's there. I, don't, I would imagine some of the multitude are sort of still following him. And he turns to this guy of all people and says, follow me. And the Bible says he got up and followed him. Now today, we're not talking today about everybody getting up and leaving your jobs. I just want to make that clear. I don't want somebody. But that's exactly what Matthew did. He got up and left his source of livelihood, that which he had no doubt given himself to, to how long, I don't know, but to some degree. And he began, it was, we see in these lives, this abandonment of that which I would pursue in order to pursue him. That's a principle we have to take from these two examples, and we could read others. But we have to recognize what it is. They weren't just saying, okay, thank goodness, I'm done with all this responsibility. That's what we think. This is, yeah, let me leave my job. I'm tired of all that weight. No, no. They were identifying and acknowledging there is something greater worth living for and giving my life to. And therefore, I'm willing to walk away from everything I know in order to give my life to it. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to stop pursuing my own way. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to stop putting myself and my ideas and my dreams and my goals as the priority. And I'm willing to abandon all of that. However, he says to follow him. This is the principle of the word of God. Do you think Jesus made mistakes choosing those guys? I mean, like, like really, I mean, two fishermen, this is the best you can do? Like blue collar. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't it have made more sense to go to the temple and maybe find some people that really knew the law and that were really well-versed in Scripture and that were, you know, educated in those things and 
had degrees and pedigrees and wouldn't that have, and, and then a tax collector, somebody that the Jews don't really like anyway. What, I mean, what are you doing? You're picking people that they don't like. You're picking people that are fishermen. That, you know, these are just, dare I say it, menial laborers. What do you, what? He's choosing them. It's the calling of God. And, you know, somebody, we can, it's something about us as individuals. We can read these things. We can see this. There's not a one of us that would say that God chose the wrong people, would we? Of course not. I mean, he chose one knowing that when he chose him, he was going to betray him. But he chose him anyway. It's interesting to me that we have such a confidence, and we should, in the Lord calling and choosing these men. I believe all 12 of them were divinely appointed by God. I believe all 12 of them were pre, I believe in the predestination of calling on a life. That's what the scripture says, whom he hath known he hath predestined. It means he has a predetermined destination for your life and mine. That doesn't do away with your free will. When I choose to give up my will to follow him, I'm now walking in that which he has predestined for my life. If I choose to walk in my will, then I'm not walking in that which he has predestined for my life. Does that make sense? But he's predestined these men. And he's called the 12 of them. We believe that, yes? Is he a respecter of persons? No. And so therefore, I have to believe and understand and know the truth of the word of God that he has called you and he has called me with a holy calling. He has predestined your life and my life. I simply have to make a determination. I'll leave the nets and follow him. I'll get up from the receipt of custom and follow him. My goals, my plans, my ambitions, my dreams, they are not more of a priority than following him. I have a calling on my life. I have a destiny on my life. You have calling on your life. You have destiny on your life. And you and I daily have to make a determination. I will either follow my will or our follow his. I have to make it this morning. I'm going to have to make it again tomorrow morning. I may have to make it again before this day's over when I walk out of here and begin to go about my day. Every day that I live, matter of fact, moment by moment, interaction by interaction, place to place, I'm choosing. I'm going to follow him or I'm going to follow my will. I'm going to do his bidding or I'm going to do my own. It becomes an awareness in my daily living. He called you. I don't believe any of you are here by accident this morning. I don't believe any of you are here because, well, it was just convenient to do and I'm trying to check off my list and it's a Sunday. No, no, no. I believe the divine calling of God upon a life. I don't believe I'm some special individual selected one and everybody. No, no. Every single one of us divinely called, purpose, plan, fitting in the work in the kingdom of God. If I will walk by his bidding. What was the requirement for Andrew and Peter and Matthew and the others to be used of God? Very simple. Follow me. 
How? What I do, you do. What I teach, you do. Follow me. Follow me, he said, and I'll make you into something. Is that what he said? Andrew, Peter, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll take the things that you've learned in life when you were going your own way. I'll take the things that you learned in life when you didn't even realize my hand was there. I was involved in your circumstances, though you may not have recognized. You might have even been running from me, but I was aware of where you were. And I have the ability to direct circumstances because I'm ever reaching to shape and mold you, believing that by the drawing of my spirit, one day you'll respond and come to where I am and begin to follow me. And so the sure mercies of God, the sovereignty of God continues to reach where we are in all of our ups and downs and our failures and our shortcomings and our mistakes and our wrong. Doesn't mean he approves of them. Doesn't mean he says, oh, it's fine, whatever, just live how you want. No, no, no. It just means in the midst of all of it, the infinite power of God and the love of God says, I can work with that. If they'll ever return to me, I'll take that failure and I'll use it for glory. If they'll ever turn to me and start following me, I'll take that mistake and I'll use it as a way to use them to reach some else that's made the same one if they'll ever follow me I can take all of their life's experiences and I'll use them for my glory Peter Andrew if you follow me I'll make you a fisher of men there's some things you've learned I just need to do a little redirecting and a reshaping and some molding I need to put some things in you I need to take some things out of you but by the time I'm done if you follow me you have calling on your life. Calling is fulfilled simply by following. We want to complicate it. Now, Matthew 26. Watch this. I think that's where I want to be. Yeah, Matthew 26, verse number 31. They've been with him a while now. They've walked a little road together. Then said Jesus unto them, them, by the way, is now these 12 disciples. Then said Jesus unto them, all of you, everybody say all of you. That means all 12 of them. All of you shall be offended because of me tonight. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter, verse 33. Remember Peter, the fisher that we read about earlier in Matthew chapter 4? He's been following. He's been following. He left his nets. He left everything. Matter of fact, it was him that one time that said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, yeah, you have. You're going to reap the results of it. It's that Peter, the very same one that said we left everything, the one that's been following. Peter said to him, though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I never 
be offended. You have that kind of boldness in your spirit. Verse 34. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, tonight before the cock will crow, you'll deny me three times. Peter said to him, Though I should die with you, yet will I not deny you. Can you... Now, again, this is the King James English. You ever got in a debate with somebody and they told you something that you firmly disagreed with? Anybody ever had that happen? Husbands, don't look at your wives. Wives, don't look at your husbands. That happens sometimes, I know. This is, I believe this is one of the, we, we, we sometimes miss the reality of humanity when we read the Word of God. Peter is as human as you and I. And Jesus just told Peter with the other guys, hey, before tonight's over, all of you are going to be offended in me. And something rose up in Peter. You know what I believe rose up in Peter? Human emotion and love for God. And his human emotion and love for the Lord, because they'd walked some roads together. He'd left some stuff behind. He was walking and following Jesus in faith. That rose up all of what he'd gone through and all that he'd had faith for rose up. And he said, Jesus, though everybody else might do this, I won't. I'll die with you. I'll not deny you. All the other disciples got a little bold when he said that, and they all said the same thing is what that verse says. Likewise, also said all the disciples. They all agreed. Oh, yeah, that's right, Peter. We won't. Next verse. Well, let's skip down. Go all the way down. Same chapter. Verse, let's just start at verse 72. And again, this is speaking of Peter. Again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a while came to him, they stood by and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. The way you talk gives you away. And again, he began to curse. He said, I'll change the way I talk then. And he started to curse and to swear. And he said, I don't know the man. And immediately the cock crew. Verse 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said to him, Before the cock crow, you shall deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine what he went through? And what he felt? I can't even fathom it. Just hours before it was he that had said, I'll never. And a few hours later he's faced with the fact, I just did what I said I would never do. I don't know what went through Peter's mind and through Peter's spirit. I, I just imagine because I'm as human as Peter and I've made commitments to the Lord before and I've missed the mark and fallen short and failed. Where I've said, I'll only to not measure up and have to come back. I would imagine that Maybe, just maybe for Peter, his mind went all the way back to that day on the boat when Jesus passed by. 
the first time and said, Peter, Andrew, follow me. And with joy, they left their nets and followed. Maybe it went back in a moment to Caesarea Philippi and how he felt that day when he declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father. He said, you're blessed. He probably wasn't feeling too blessed in that moment. He probably wasn't feeling too good about having left the boat in that moment. Because here he was facing the reality that the very one he said he would follow. He denied. And it's interesting to me when you read and I read the scriptures. That. The next time you find Peter and you look in the Gospels, he says to the other disciples, you know what he says he's going to do? But the Lewis Peter said, I'm going fishing. What? Yeah, I'm going back to what I know. I, I thought you left that, Peter. I thought I did too. But I denied him. I failed. I missed the mark. I... Now he's crucified. You understand that's taken place. I'm going fishing. There's something about the human nature that's revealed in Peter. When I miss the mark, when I so desperately desire to please God and then I fall short, my human nature has a tendency to want to go back in some way, shape, form, degree to that which I left for him. I'm not saying that, and I know many of your life stories, some of you don't, but many of you I do. I'm not saying that that means you go back to those of you that were delivered from drug addiction and alcoholism. That doesn't mean you, you go all the way back into the middle of all that. But you take a step that direction. Maybe it's the opening of a door to some things you close doors to along the time and the journey while you were following him. And maybe you don't go all the way back to the beginning, but you just step back through a door that you should have closed and never reopened because of failure. Well, we see from Peter's life, I believe, a microcosm of what happens. If I don't get back in relationship with the Lord and submitted to his will and calling and stop doing my thing, I'll end up all the way back where I started. Sadly, in my 53 almost years of living, I've known those that I never would have imagined they would end up all the way back where God brought them from. But it started with a failure. And the Lord wasn't smacking them upside the head because you understand some of you heard me say this before and I'm sure you'll hear me say it again. Failure is not a person. Failure is simply an event. Simply an event. And we get up. This is why the scripture declares to us, a righteous man falls seven times. It's going to happen. 
But he gets back up again. The measure of a righteous man, you understand you and I aren't righteous. Only by the righteousness of God, only his robe of righteousness does he cover us and bring us into right relationship with him. And so when I fall, the measure of righteousness isn't, oh, you failed, therefore you're unrighteous. Well, of course I'm going to fall unless I'll abide in him. And so the measure becomes, no, I get up again. I'm not continuing the direction which I fail. Some call it falling forward. Romans chapter 11. Just hold your hand there, maybe. Aren't you glad we know the rest of the story? Aren't you glad we have all of Scripture? And so Peter has had, you know, Peter's a lot like some of us. Maybe not all of us. We're, we all have different temperaments and different characteristics. And different, uh, but in some way, shape, or form, we all got a little bit of Peter in us in some way or another. Because all of us have gotten excited, emotional, riled up, whether, whether joyous excitement, whether revelatory excitement, whether anger. We've all gotten excited along the way and blurted out something that afterwards we're like, why did I just say that? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, said something, you're like, why did I say that? And then you feel this pressure to try to live up to what you just said, and you never can. Peter was sort of that guy. Peter was always saying something. Right? He has the privilege of being at the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus comes and he's witnessed this amazing thing where he witnesses Moses and Elijah talking with the Lord Jesus. And he doesn't know what to say, but he has to say something. And he says, oh, Jesus, it's wonderful that we were here. We should build three tabernacles. And then the voice of the Lord booms from heaven. He's like, okay, that was not the right thing to say. And then here he is where we read already in Matthew chapter 9 or uh, Matthew chapter number 26, where he said, Lord, I'll never deny you. You can look at another place in his life right after he had this revelation. They were the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's feeling pretty good because the Lord said you're blessed. A few verses later, he steps in and says, oh, Lord, I'm never going to let him kill you. This isn't going to happen. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Okay, I must have said the wrong thing. In his zeal and his excitement, this happens. But we know the rest of the story. We know that it was Peter on the day of Pentecost that stood up in Acts chapter 2 and began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ on that day. It was Peter that said, These men are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days, saith the Lord. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your young men will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams upon your servants and your handmaidens. I will pour out of my. It was Peter that stood up and declared those words on that day. It was Peter that was there with the other 119 when the Holy Ghost was first poured out, and they began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. It was Peter that gave an answer to the Jews that were standing around going, what does this mean? It was Peter that had the boldness to say, I know what this means. I know what to say now. How did he know? I've got calling on my life. I was called by the very God that just filled us with his spirit. And this calling that's on my life is not predicated on the fact that I made a mistake a few weeks ago. I got back in right relationship with him. I came to a place and the calling of God that sets on 
my life. He's being made manifest on the day of Pentecost. This is what happened to Peter. His failure did not define him. His response to continue following Jesus is what defined him. You and I will be defined by our failure or will be defined by our following. I've decided, I decided somewhere along the journey. I know I'm going to fail, but I'm going to be determined and defined by my following. Because when I fall, I will rejoice not against me, O oh, mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. I'm going to continue following. If I fall on my face, you'll just recognize it's not me that's good anyway. It's the power of God that enables me to do what I cannot do myself. When I make a mistake and mess up, I'll own it. I'll get it under the blood. And I'm going to get back up and I'm going to say, God, by your grace, I'm following you still. I'm going to be defined by my following. Peter was defined by his following. Don't fall into the trap of the adversary and be defined by your failure. Why? Because Romans eleven twenty nine 29 tells us, watch this verse. Many of you, I'm sure, can quote it, but we need to know it and hear it and receive it for ourselves. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. The adversary wants you to believe you fail, therefore God's destiny and calling on your life no longer exists. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. God doesn't throw you and I to the side because we miss the mark. He died because he knew we'd miss the mark. That doesn't mean I become content and justify missing the mark, you understand. Doesn't mean I say, well, it's okay, I'm going to miss. No, no, no. I, I strive to stop missing the mark. How? By following him. By following him. By following him. If the Lord has used you before, he'll use you again. If the Lord has used you mightily and powerfully before, he will use you mightily and powerfully again if you'll follow. If you'll follow. But I'm going to tell you, Peter had to leave the boat again. He had to leave the boat again. Jesus was sitting on the seashore in the morning. Bread and fish on the fire. And they looked and they realized it's him. Peter was out in the boat fishing. He was ashamed. Because of what he'd let himself go back to. The Bible says he dove out of the boat into the water. Because he was naked. He'd went so far. In such a short time. It would seem. Did he stop believing? I don't think so for a moment. 
he was just bombarded with questions and confusion and his failure. And he, he was human. But notice, you got to see this. Jesus did not reject him. Jesus went and sat down on the seashore. He had fish and bread, and he waited for him. It's what he does. It's his nature. I find it interesting this morning. I'm hurrying to finish. Go back where we started in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. Here we find Peter the first time in the boat. We know they were in the boat. Well, we assume where they were in the boat because they were casting a net into the sea. You see Jesus coming to Peter every once in a while. You remember that time where Jesus went up to a mountain to pray and he told the disciples before he went, Hey, I'd like you all to get in the boat and head to the other side. And he went into a mountain to pray, the Bible says. And when they were in the midst of the sea, there arose a storm. And they feared for their lives. And Jesus came to them. Remember this story? Jesus came to them walking on the water. Storm, waves, wind. They're afraid. They didn't even recognize Jesus, I think, for two reasons. I think, number one, the storm and the wind and the water and all that, they couldn't see clearly. I think also they were so troubled with fear, they thought it was a spirit, the Bible says. I'd imagine some of them thought it's the spirit of death. We're about to lose our lives. But Jesus said something, and though they couldn't see him, they knew his voice. See, in the midst of the storm, you just got to know his voice. You may not always see what he's doing, but if you know his voice. It was Peter, remember? It was Peter in the boat that said, Jesus, if that's you, what did he say? Ask me to come. You know what I believe? I believe Peter was saying, I remember when I was in the boat and you said, follow me. I know that sound. If it's you, Jesus, ask me again. And I'll get out of the boat again. Jesus said, come. Peter said, all right. I left the boat once before. Circumstances are a lot different now. Life looks a lot different now than it looked the first time I left the boat. But he hasn't changed. It takes a whole lot more faith to get out of the boat now. 
because of all I'm facing. Peter, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat again. And when he did the second time, he walked in spiritual things he'd never walked in before. But here we find where we just read at the close of Matthew 26. Or what I was telling you, we didn't read it. It's actually at the close of John's gospel. We find Peter in the boat again. Jesus isn't coming to the boat. Jesus isn't getting in the boat. Jesus is sitting there with food and sustenance for Peter and the others. But they have to get out of the boat to get it. I don't care if you're three or 103. The principle remains. We often want God to bless us and use us and work with us in the place that we define and where we're comfortable. And God says, I can't do that. I've got to get you out of what you know so you don't take credit for what I do when I use you. Would you stand with me this morning? I know because of the working of the Holy Ghost this morning. There's some of you here in this room. These things that are being shared from the word of God, they are speaking right to where you live in your spirit today. And the spirit of you've been putting off, taking it, if I could say it this way, you understand exactly what's being said. You've been putting off stepping out of the boat. You might even have a list. Well, once this and then this and then this, then I'll. Well, I'm trying to get this in place and this in order and, one, and then, then I'll. Well, I'm just waiting until. Hear me. Hear the word of the Lord. The gifts and the calling of God. They're without repentance. Peter. I understand you denied me just the other day. I understand. But Peter, come on. Have you forgotten already? I knew you were going to do that. I told you. Peter, I knew the failure you were going to have before you had it. And I called you knowing that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God knows your failures before they happen? And yet, he would reach to us and call us anyway. Doesn't make sense, does it? Not to the natural mind. 
Oh, but he knows they'll fail. I've got failure built into the plan. Because their failures will shape them. I have failure built into the plan because if they follow me, oh, what I'll do when they follow me. Oh, how I'll use them when they follow me. Would you talk to the Lord where you are right now? Come on, how about it? Would you commit? I'll follow. I'll follow. By your grace, I'll follow. I'm opening this altar to you this morning. Well, maybe you'd like to respond to him by stepping out from where you are as an acknowledgement of faith, of surrender. Lord, I'll follow. Maybe I've laid hold of some things that you had led me at one time to let go of and in, in failure and maybe even in fear, I just laid hold of what I knew. But God, by your grace today, I'll follow. I'm, I'm stepping again in faith. I'm committing with my mouth and by your grace, my steps will do so. I will follow you. I cast down the lie of the adversary that says the calling of God has been removed. I cast down the lie of the adversary that is contrary to your living word. Your gifts and your calling are without repentance. Your gifts and your calling are without repentance. Peter, I'll use you. I have destiny set on your life, Peter. But I'm not going to use you in that boat. You got to get out of that boat. You got to trust me to use you where it's not the most comfortable. You got to trust me to use you in places that you may not know. But I know what I put in you. I know how I'll use the failures that the adversary thought would destroy you. But I've kept you in my hand and you've purposed to follow. So therefore, I'll continue to work. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, and he's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. His word is clear. Whosoever will, let him come. He said, take up your cross and follow me. On the power of the Lord, the desire of God upon your life and mine is so very real and certain this morning and in this hour like never before. Don't allow the voice of the adversary to cause you or I to disqualify ourselves. Peter could have given all the reasons why he wasn't the one to be used. And yet he yielded and God used him. Lord, define us by our following. Define us by our following. Define us by our following. The steps I make today, the steps I make walking after you, following after you, pursuing you, let them become the definition of my life. Let them become the definition of my marriage. Let them become the definition of my life in the workplace. Let them become the definition of my living every day. Let my following you become the definition to the world of who I am and who you are. I'll be defined by following you.